KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast. It's Tuesday, October 19th. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and I'm here as always with our producers, Brian Seltzer and Sabrina Boyd Circa. Good to have you with us here on this Tuesday. Always good to be here. Back-to-back days. We have a streak going. We're in the studio, two days running. Live and in person. Live and in person. We have that streak going. And also on this Tuesday, we're going to be joined by KYW News Radio Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melward. It's been a minute since we've had Jim here on the big show, and there's a lot to get to as well. We keep talking about stories that we want to talk to Jim about, and he was out last week. So I'm excited to have him back and be able to talk about a bunch of things, including this new bill that um, is in the state legislature aiming to increase transparency in education. Basically, they want to make schools post their curriculum online. And I think there are just a lot of questions of like, what does that really mean? Why are they trying to do this? Where could this go? There's a lot behind this that isn't so upfront in the bill. And it's a lot we're trying to figure out right now. And it, it's ways into that possibility of education being just a touch politicized, which is really the last thing that we need. Speaking of politics, I think what I'm learning more and more about myself is that I'm really enjoying political fodder. And I know Jim has the beats on what's going on in all things Pennsylvania politics, but I can't wait to hear from him about his thoughts on Josh Shapiro formally throwing his hat into the ring for the Pennsylvania governor's race in 2022. I know Jim has been around Josh a lot over the course of Josh's career. So Jim's been on the ground level covering this guy. I can't wait to find out more about what Jim has to say and where he thinks... The chances lie for Josh Shapiro. The current attorney general made it clear he wants to be the next governor of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But first, it's time to get to the rundown of today's headlines. And unfortunately, you have to start with this really awful story. After a sexual assault that occurred on the L last week, SEPTA is now urging riders to take action if they see something. Many of you have seen this story. It's made national headlines, unfortunately, that a man raped a woman on a SEPTA train last Wednesday, and it was in front of the riders, and they all apparently just stood idly by and did nothing. It was around 10 o'clock, Jay, as you said, last Wednesday at the 69th Street Station, and yeah, amazing that there were bystanders apparently who captured the incident on film or took photos with their camera, and it's all happening, and it goes on for reportedly about eight minutes until a SEPTA employee finally intervenes And understandably, the SEPTA police chief was really upset about it. What we want everyone to be is angry and join us in being resolute. When they see inappropriate behavior, behavior that you wouldn't want your 10-year-old to see, call the police. Guys, there's obviously a ton to unpack here about human behavior and what we could make of that. But what's encouraging, at least to me, is that SEPTA seems like it's been stepping up its public messaging of what to do if you... Hopefully not. But if you do find yourself in a situation like this or even not as extreme, if you're concerned for someone's safety while riding on SEPTA, there's things that you can do. It can be hard to know what to do in a situation like that. You never expect to be in that situation. So luckily, SEPTA is kind of trying to guide people and say, listen, this is what you do. There are these emergency buttons. There's this transit watch app. We actually have a video of a SEPTA employee going through some safety tips and how to use those emergency buttons on the train. Emergency contact. We have... Two of these buttons on each car, you can push this button and it automatically lights up and it contacts the operator of the train. Hi, may I help you? Hi, we need the police. We're on car 1162. 
So I'm going to encourage everybody to go check that out, download the app, do whatever you can do to be prepared in case, unfortunately, something like this happens when you're around. If you've got the wherewithal to pull out a camera and take a picture of it, shoot video of it, you can put the camera down for a second. and Or use that phone to dial 911. There are some people who really would just step up and do something. And this at least is kind of guiding people along the way to do something for those who may thought may have thought they were helpless or couldn't do anything. Now, you know, right. And these are some ways to step in for somebody who, you know, like me, I wouldn't be able to fend somebody off. I wouldn't be able to go in and physically intervene, but you can at least get help. Absolutely. The FDA is now likely to approve mixing vaccines for booster shots. Now, this is an interesting proposition because I know we've talked about and it's been talked about in numerous times in the conversations I've had with our medical editor, Dr. Brian McDonough, dealing with the idea of if you had the Moderna vaccine, one, do you do Pfizer or you throw Johnson & Johnson in there? This isn't exactly like mixing light and dark liquor here. These are vaccines. <laughs> so, Sabrina, I know there's more to this. There's got to be some reasoning to why now they might be thinking this could be a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it's really more about convenience and accessibility than anything. Uh, I don't think that we are having anyone say right now that it's more effective to mix vaccines. There are some studies going on about that. Um, But CDC official Dr. Amanda Cohn kind of explained more of what it's about. I don't think there's there's any sort of need from a public health perspective to have a preference for mixing or matching. But I think that from a public health perspective, there's a clear need in some situations for individuals to receive a different vaccine. So when she says a clear need, it's kind of when a pharmacy has trouble getting both vaccines and so or some or someplace, a nursing home, wherever it may be that's providing the booster shot. If you got Pfizer before and it is easiest for you to go to a place that only has Moderna, that's probably going to be okay once the FDA approves booster shots for Johnson & Johnson and Moderna, of course. Anything that increases – I feel like I repeat this refrain all the time. Anything that increases ease of access to put this thing to bed, It would be. Please, let's just keep it going. It's got to happen and I know we're coming up on the – there's soon going to be a decision on booster shots of – Moderna and Johnson and Johnson, and that will make this even more of an important point. Now, one quick thing that I feel I have to toss in here is Ben Simmons got himself suspended. He came back to the 76ers. You, anybody who saw the videos of the 76ers practice that went viral, he looked like he was in the midst of a hostage situation. He didn't want to be there. And apparently this morning, head coach Doc Rivers kicked him out of practice because he was visibly not engaged with the team and this has taken on a whole life of its own in the city of Philadelphia, and they don't even play a game until tomorrow night in New Orleans. This is this is pretty wild. Jay, I got to play the I don't know anything about sports ball card. <laughs> Why was he not with the team? Like, how did this all start? Why didn't he want to be part of the team? Basically, Ben has wanted out ever since the disaster that ended their playoff series against the Atlanta Hawks back in June. And after the game, Doc Rivers tried to deny it. He tried to deny he said he wasn't sure if Ben Simmons could lead his team to a championship. Mm. He said it. We got you on tape, Doc. And he tried <laughs> to deny it. And from that point forward, two days after that game ended, Ben Simmons said he wanted out. And he's got this very huge contract that he can't get out of. And he even refused to join the team for training camp. But then they started docking him a whole lot of money 
And he suddenly got on a plane and showed up like a wayward ex-boyfriend at the Wells Fargo Center saying, hey, uh, I'm here to take my COVID test and suddenly wants to join the team. But as we've seen, he joined this team and really has no intention of being there. This is mm. this is bordering on a disaster. So we're Philadelphia has become kind of a focal point. Brian, I know what you used to do. I was going to say, I think this might be one of those situations where I'm, I would lobby to extend my statute of limitations for not talking about certain things. You know what? That's the best way to end this right now. Right I now think for- I can truthfully say I'm at a loss for words. So in those situations, I think it's probably best to not say anything. You know, yeah. if you can't say anything nice, we don't say anything at all. <laughs> because and that's all we'll say. I wish I had something nice to say. I, just, I think I don't have anything. You know what? That's the best way we can leave it. You can find all the latest headlines, all the latest news. Go right to our website, kywnewsradio.com. We're joined by KW News Radio Suburban Bureau Chief Jim Melwert. And Jim, as we've mentioned earlier, it's been a second since we've had you here on the rundown and be able to catch up with you on everything that's happening in the suburbs. Yeah, there's been a lot that's been going on. And first, there's this bill in the Pennsylvania legislature that aims to increase transparency in education. Now, it will require schools to post their curriculum online. Jim, tell us a little bit more about this bill and seemingly some of the uh, motives that might be behind it. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess it depends who you talk to uh, when, when you're talking motive. But basically what this would do is it would require schools to post curriculum, uh, textbook titles, um, syllabus, any education materials that they're using uh, online on a public part of their website to actually have somebody whose job is uh, dedicated uh, sort of to uh, to making sure that, that uh, these things are published and uh and then also if curriculum changes uh there's a, a line in here that says uh, a school would have uh, 30 days to update people who are arguing against it say look schools already have to provide this if i want to know what my child's being taught and i ask my teacher or my child's teacher they have to give this to me uh and and then supporters of the legislation are saying, well, this makes it easier for everyone if it's just out there. Okay, it might be it might be some work to get it up initially, but once it's there, it'll be a lot easier for parents just to go to a website and just see. That's obviously, you know, the iceberg part of this. There's a lot more underwater. This is a Republican-led bill. Opponents of the bill, who are Democrats, say this is a thinly veiled attempt to crack down on critical race theory which has become a very politically fraught, touchy subject. To be honest, it's one that's not really taught much in lower levels of school. It's normally taught higher up in education. But supporters of this bill say that's not what this is about. And, but to understand the arguments, what is the discussion happening around critical race theory and how, if at all, does it connect to this bill? Critical race theory is, is basically uh, a look at what we are and who we are as a society and how uh, things that we may not realize play into uh, decisions and actions that we take. It, it's it's a very uh, heavily involved in in more of the legal system and and how you know decisions might be made uh, based on race that we don't even realize that we're doing. It's those kind of things. When you hear critical race theory thrown around, especially at at uh, you know even secondary education, but especially like like uh, elementary level. No one's teaching critical race theory in elementary. It's kind of the catchphrase for if you're teaching American history through the lens of we did some bad things. 
and we're humans and we evolve and you know throughout time bad things have happened and so when you say look we we had slaves it wasn't good we had slaves and we need to address that and it, you know, th there's become this thought that by saying because our ancestors may have done things that we need to look at and may be uncomfortable with, that somehow I should feel guilty for that. And, and uh, you know, that's not really the goal here. The goal here is to learn. Um, but, but you know, to, to kind of say that this is critical race theory backing up, supporters of this bill say that's not what this is intended to do. There has been a movement in the state legislature by some uh, farther right Republicans to actually say, you can't teach this stuff in schools. That hasn't gained traction. You know, if people do support it. There are people who say, look, I want to know what my kids are learning. And, and I'm a parent and I have my views on the world and I want to make sure that my child isn't learning other views. So with that in mind, uh, you know, that that's the, that's an important foundation to, to have here. But basically, the people who are against these bills want to make sure that teachers can teach history. I mean, it's almost like teaching science or, or evolution without people saying, well, I'm religious. You can't teach my child evolution. You know, it, it's, that's not an exact parallel, but it's the same kind of, kind of, of thought of, you know, well, if science says that this is what science is, then we need to teach science. Uh, and, you know, if this is what history is, teachers need to be able to teach history and social studies. And, and we can't just kind of gloss over things because some people are uncomfortable. With it. it would basically turn things into what we see in places like China and what you saw in communist Russia, where they would take parts of history that were legitimate and just, well, we don't like that. So we're just going to censor it. We just don't right. want kids to know about that. An example that, you know, I, I just did a story recently with a judge in the, uh, with the Pennsylvania Supreme Court who is working on 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 uh, a couple of different things. And one of the things that he mentioned is. Uh, in, in Hispanic culture, uh, eye contact is considered rude. So when a judge is sentencing someone and, and that person won't make eye contact with them, they're doing it because culturally it is rude for them to make eye contact. The judge is viewing it as, uh, you know, they're, be, they're being rude and not making, you know, so they're both just coming at it from a different angle. So something as simple as that, just just understanding people and understanding how that can affect if, if a judge gets angry, look at me when I'm talking to you, young man, and then increases his sentence because he feels that the person's being disrespectful, not looking at him. That's that's just an example of how we need to understand people. And that's not to feel guilty for anything. We just need to understand different cultures. Absolutely. Now, here's Senate Education Committee Minority Chair Lindsey Williams making the argument about this bill. This is also part of a larger movement to pit the public against teachers and politicize education while undermining the teaching of accurate history and racial and cultural competence. Do you think this bill would set the stage for more fights between parents and schools? I almost kind of know the answer to this question, unfortunately, but does it feel like this is setting up another brawl here? Maybe, maybe. And, and I say maybe, not as a cop-out, uh, but because... This is already a requirement. It's 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 already required. If I reach out to my teacher or my child's teacher and say, "What what are you teaching?" You know, they're already required to 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 tell me. So could this set up fights? Uh, you know, my thought and and not really you know knowing, but I, I guess what you could see is if it's a public facing website. You know, rather than me sharing an email with my teacher and saying, hey, people, look at this, I could share a web link. And then, you know, somebody in Montana now can scream and yell at my kid's teacher because they don't like uh, what my 
what, what's being taught. That, that, that's a possibility. But I also think what might be more of a concern is the, the unfunded mandate part of it, where this is going, you're going to have to have somebody whose job this is. School districts are already strapped for cash. Now they have to hire somebody, you know, to, to, to make sure that this is happening. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's more work for teachers that are already trying to, to juggle so many things. You know, if you were asking me, hearing the arguments that, that I've, I've heard on it, I, th- I think the the unfunded mandate part of it seems to have more more strength. This whole thing, if it does get through the Senate and gets through the state house, it's basically dead on arrival as soon as it gets to Governor Wolf anyway. So what's the point of even pushing a bill like this if we know what's going to happen when it gets to Governor Wolf? Again, I mean that, that you know you, you you want to apply motive here. Is, is it a show bill? Is it is it so you know lawmakers can go back and say, hey, look what I've been doing. I've been fighting this big bad Democrat machine, and and look at these things. Even though this governor uh, vetoed it, I, I still worked hard for you and your freedom and your ability to to say uh, what what your child should or shouldn't learn. Uh, the other part of it is, is, you know, you just keep fighting these fights so that they become if, if this is something you believe in, you you keep doing it uh, so that, you know, you keep moving the ball forward. And even if you're Sisyphus and just pushing the rock up the hill and then it comes back down, and you push it back up, you're, you're still you're keeping it in, in the public eye. If you believe it's right, then then, you know, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you even if even if the, the governor is going to going to veto it, if, if it's what you believe is the right thing to do? Then, then you go ahead and do it um, because you know that that's what you believe you're, you're you're sent there to do. And also, speaking of Governor Tom Wolf, by this time next year, Governor Wolf's going to be on his way out, and we're going to be into the home stretch of the race to replace him for governor. Now, a bunch of candidates had all kind of jumped into this thing, and they're all Republicans up until last week, where Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro went to Pittsburgh and announced that he was throwing his hat in the ring as the first Democrat to run to replace Governor Tom Wolf. Jim, could we actually say this might have been one of the worst-kept secrets in Pennsylvania politics that we all knew the AG was planning on running, but now he just made it official? Those of us in Montgomery County have known that Josh Shapiro was going to run for governor since uh, how long ago was he first uh, elected as Montgomery <laughs> County Commissioner? I mean, it's it's been no secret that that Josh Shapiro has had his eyes on the governor's mansion for for a long time now. So, Jim, you just said there you pretty much knew from day one that this is what Josh Shapiro was planning on doing. And this is going back years because he's he's had a career in politics that's gone more than two decades. He was a chief of staff to a Montgomery County congressman. He's been the AG now two terms. He was Montgomery County commissioner. How did you know? that he pretty much had the the eyes on being governor going back to these early days in Montgomery County. Well, he was he was in the in the state house uh and felt that being one of the the group in the state house uh was pretty ineffective uh and then became Montgomery County commissioner. Uh and to be fair, I won't say that I knew day one of his career, but <laughs> I came out to Montgomery County when he was commissioner and and by that point you know, he he was pretty well on on the path and and everyone, you know, in Norristown uh, and especially the people who covered uh, Montgomery County commissioners uh, knew that that he was on a trajectory. Uh, and, and that's a credit to, to, to his political skills as well. I don't I don't mean to you know sound demeaning or pejorative in any way here. <laughs> I mean, he he has uh, that that air about him. And and, you know, uh, 
supporters will say that that he did uh, a lot of, of of good work and and you know zero balance budgeting and things like that that took some effort uh, to to break the inertia and status quo in Montgomery County. A lot of private public partnerships, uh, grants rather than the county spending money to get something done, uh, offering up some grants or other incentives uh, to get uh, private businesses to do it. So a lot of those things were at work. He, he was building his brand uh, in many ways before he became attorney general. And you saw you saw that with the things you mentioned, you know, where, where he I don't want to say it's complete political opportunism where he was jumping on these uh, jumping in these lawsuits, these federal lawsuits against Trump administration, but his political acumen. You know, you could see that that he was going somewhere more than just being a county commissioner. His willingness to go after the Trump administration that got in the national profile. What are some of the issues that are important to him? Because it looks like he's basically running unopposed. So what are we going to learn about Shapiro's philosophy as he tries to make this run to be the Democrat to succeed Tom Wolf? Well, he's he's a progressive. I mean, he always has been. And and you've seen that a lot of the things we've already talked about, you know, some of the, the challenges to the, to the Trump administration, you know, immigration, abortion, several other things. Uh, and, and that's that's where I see this race going, especially with what we're seeing in Texas right now, uh, the makeup of the Supreme Court, uh, where there's uh, likely going to be a challenge uh, to Roe v. Wade. Uh, and, you know, if you read in, into the Supreme Court, court likely a successful challenge in some way uh, to at least alter ab- abortion laws in Pennsylvania. Democrats and especially the progressive side like like Josh are going to have uh, a a Republican majority state legislature. So you are going to need a Democrat in the governor's office to make sure that something like abortion uh, remains legal and accessible in, in Pennsylvania. And I Expect we'll hear that a lot over the next next several months. Uh, and as for the, the deck being cleared, uh, and, and that, that's a lot Pennsylvania politics too. I mean, an attorney general, you know, running for governor, you already have that that statewide brand, um, you know, for six years or however many years it's been uh, that you've been able to build. So while it's somewhat a, a fait accompli, it's also everyone sees like, wow, it would be really hard to unseat uh, someone with with that kind of position already in a a primary. We're talking here about Shapiro, but who are some key names to look for on the GOP side running to possibly succeed Tom Wolf? I think that the, the key name to watch right now is somebody who hasn't declared and hasn't even kind of hinted at it. And that's Jake Corman. Right now, he's the uh, president pro tem of the Pennsylvania Senate. He was the uh, Senate majority leader, uh, a very effective uh, politician, conservative uh, he's from Center County, the the state college area. Uh, the rumor, again, just a rumor, nothing confirmed at this point, is that he will run with a possible announcement coming after Election Day. We'll, we'll go down the list, but the, the Corman is kind of the, the known entity. Uh, and, and that's kind of why people who are watching think not only donors, but also the party will be able to kind of coalesce behind him because they know who he is and not to get too far off the tracks. But what's interesting is he's been, he's a very pragmatic conservative and his understanding of how to get things done and has your standard conservative views. Uh, he has been kind of pulled toward the Trumpier side of things uh, in the last several months. And we'll see if that that sways donors and backers and if it affects things going forward. But I think we're kind of I'm kind of putting the, the cart before the horse there. The, uh, the declared people right now, 
the one that that people would be aware of in our region is Bill McSwain, uh, former U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of PA. Uh, he's from Chester County, retired Marine. It, it feels like uh, they kind of kicked the tires uh, and, and he hasn't really gotten traction. And I don't know that he will. I, I think a lot of people kind of look at at his uh, crime background and they see him maybe as that's that's there, there's not much else there. Uh, and it doesn't seem like he's really catching on. Uh, Guy Shiraki uh, is the, the head of the Chester County Chamber of, of Business and Industry, uh, you know, a traditional suburban Republican, uh, suburban Philadelphia Republican, you know, where you're, you're fiscally conservative, socially more liberal. But um, again, can he get traction? Can he get that name recognition? Dave White is a former Delaware County councilman. Uh, he owns a mechanical contracting firm uh, involved with some blue collar and, and labor connections, both here and across the state in Western PA, which would be a very uh, strong asset for a Republican to have those those labor connections, that blue collar connection. Unclear, again, you know what kind of traction he can get. Lou Barletta. He's a former congressman, uh, ran for Senate 2018. Um, but there's kind of a feeling that, you know, maybe he's a retread that he ran. He had his chance. He, he didn't get it. Uh, Joe Gale, Montgomery County Commissioner. I mean, he's really on the fringe. I think last check, he has like 2000 Twitter followers. So obviously, if you're running for statewide office and you, you're not really uh, getting any, any gaining any ground there. Uh, a couple other likely but haven't announced yet. Uh, uh, Dan Lachlan, he's a state senator from Erie. Uh, again, owner of a construction company, so he's kind of got that labor background. The centrist, yeah, he introduced marijuana legislation. Again, fiscal conservative, stays away from social issues, doesn't weigh into that. Uh, and then Scott Martin, he's a state senator from Lancaster County, former Lancaster County commissioner, a typical Lancaster conservative, which would do well in, in central PA. Uh, my understanding is that he will kind of play off Corman if Corman runs. Martin would not run. Uh, and then the wild card here, the name I haven't mentioned is uh, Doug Mastriano, state senator, who is the Trumpiest of all the candidates, was in Washington, D.C. on January 6th, uh, has been very outspoken uh, of his support for Donald Trump uh, and and has kind of hooked his horse to that that cart. So we'll, we'll see kind of it, it'll be a good test, I guess, to kind of see where Pennsylvania is. It's, it's a very purple state in many ways. The one thing that fascinates me, and I may be getting a little too wonky here, but you look at the the November election and are there any transitive properties here? Because you had Joe Biden beat Donald Trump. Obviously, everyone paid attention to that. You had Josh Shapiro reelected, but then you had two Republicans, the next two Republicans on the ticket win Auditor General and Treasurer. Most voters, especially in a presidential year, probably aren't walking in being like, ah, yeah, I want to vote for Auditor General. So that kind of gives you sort of that that blank slate. So, you know, everybody knew who Joe Biden, everybody knew who Donald Trump, you know, they they knew that knew those names. Josh Shapiro, as we talked about, has been building a brand. No surprise he got reelected. But then those other two, is is that kind of indicative of if you just walk in and you're given a Republican and a Democrat, no names, who you're going to pick. So does that show that Pennsylvania is still red, depending on, you know, when, when you take the names off off the off the, the ballot? That'll be really interesting to see. Kind of, and, and I say that kind of as we talk about the Republican primary of does Donald Trump still hold sway in Pennsylvania? Is it going to be someone more like a Mastriano who's right there with Donald Trump? Is it going to be that traditional Philadelphia suburban Republican again that? You know, where you're you're fiscally conservative, but socially you're like, you do you do you. We're not going to tell you how to live. Is it is it going to be more like that? You know, so so that's kind of what I'm interested to see in that Republican primary come. I would say the spring, but 
will it be the spring? I mean, that's a whole nother ball of wax that we'll, we'll get to soon uh, with uh, with redistricting. They can't have a primary until they have districts. You know, when are we going to get that? So so don't be surprised if the primary is pushed back in Pennsylvania. Jim, you, you cover so many things, suburban forest plus dealing with the issues across state government. How can people check out what you're doing out here? I'd say at this point, the best bet is to listen, listen to me. Check me out on, on, on our website, kywnewsradio.com. I've taken a break from social media. Twitter's just so mean. <laughs> I, just, I just can't. I, I need to step back. It's, it's just such a mean, horrible place. Like, I love debate. I love arguing, but just ugh. Jim Melward, be nice to him when you see him or hear him in the streets. <laughs> he's our Suburban Bureau chief. Plus, he does great work covering state government, and he's always welcome here on The Rundown. Jim, thank you so much for taking time from your obviously busy schedule to join us once again on here. Thank you, Jay. Appreciate it. And and you don't have to be nice to me. Nobody has to be. You can just don't call me names. Let's argue. Let's debate. I love that. Let, let's leave the name calling somewhere else. Leave, leave that in the schoolyard where a lot of these things could have been left. We'll leave it at that. Thank you so much. That's Jim Melwart, the Suburban Bureau Chief here at KYW News Radio. The Rundown is a production of KYW News Radio Original Podcast. This show is produced, of course, by the world's greatest tag team, Sabrina Boitzerka and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. My name is Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. And, of course, be nice when you're on there. It's Real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and on Facebook. You can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 p.m. for Philadelphia's Afternoon News on KYW News Radio 10. 1060 AM, 103.9 FM, and of course on the Odyssey app, which is where you also hear The Rundown. Be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. Listen for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. So for Sabrina Boyd Circa, Jim Melwert, and Brian Seltzer, I'm Jay Scott Smith thanking you for checking out this Tuesday edition of The Rundown.